Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about some great and mighty men and women of God, people really like you and I, who the Lord met and called and, and used in tremendous and great ways. Moses, David, and uh, Joseph, these great uh, men, Queen Esther, women of the Bible. And it talks about their life of faith. And it says that in, in Hebrews 11, it's been referred to sometimes as the hallmark or the museum of, of faith. And uh, so these people made it into the museum of faith, praise God. But the Bible says this about them. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, for those that say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And if indeed they had been thinking of that country which they came out of, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let's put those two phrases together. They desired a better country. Therefore, God has prepared a city for them. And so God has prepared a better place for you and for me. And desiring it is how God gets you there. Nobody ever got to the better place that God had for them simply by sitting passively by and saying, well, if the Lord wants to do it, he can do it. God always stirs desire in our heart, and we have to take that desire and cultivate it. God's not going to push us to where he has called us to be. You have to want it. You have to desire it. David said it like this. One thing. Sometimes you have to push everything else that's not as important aside and come up, what's the one thing you can't live without? What's the thing that God has spoke about to you in your life? David said this, one thing have I desired from the Lord, and that I will seek after. So you see the desire and the seeking. And that is that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his holy temple. Surely that was God's will for David, to dwell in the house of the Lord and to inquire in his holy temple. Surely that's God's will for all of us. Yet David said, I desire and I seek after it. God didn't just push it on David. You have to want it. Praise the Lord. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that is where your heart's going to be collected. Praise God. You know, I had a wonderful uh, upbringing in the Lord, having come out of atheism and just unbelievable darkness. When I got saved, I was around some wonderful, wonderful Christians who were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they moved in the gifts of the Spirit. They prayed in tongues. They interpreted. They prophesied. They laid hands on the sick. If uh, you know, if you didn't want someone praying for you, you were afraid to say, you know, I'm not feeling too good. Or, and you know what? There were, it, we saw lots of answers. You know, their prayers were answered. The, the Spirit of God moved. And, you know, coming from the background that I came from, when I saw for the first time people prophesy and I realized what it was, you know, the night that I got saved, the Lord supernaturally came in 
to my life. I mean, that's how I got saved, because I was an atheist. God turned me away from atheism. He turned me into believing. So, the, uh, that, that was how I came into the kingdom of God. I, I didn't become a Christian because someone convinced me that believing in Jesus was better than not believing in him. I didn't have a mental experience. I had a transformational experience. So when I heard, when I was first saved, when I heard people, thus saith the Lord, prophesying, and I felt the same thing I felt that night. As I listened to them, I knew God is talking. You see, my, my, early, um, my early formulation about what Christianity and the kingdom of God and what church was, was formulated around those experiences, people prophesying, and I was just overwhelmed. God is speaking to us, you know? God is speaking to us. I thought, this is, a, this is, this is what happened to me that night. The Lord is here. It's not just a historical Jesus, but he is a contemporary Jesus. He is Jehovah Shammah. I am here. So when I would see the gifts of the Spirit, when I would hear prophecy, it just let me know that the Lord is here, and I desired it. I just wanted to be in that atmosphere. And so um, one day in my, my still formative and early years as a Christian, um, I joined a ministry far, far away from my home, you know, many, many miles and uh, I was there in a strange land with these people serving the Lord. And we, we had a, a prayer meeting, as we often did. And so we were gathered together in this office, the people that worked in this ministry. And, we were, and I, was on, I was on the floor. I saw my face and I was praying. And all of a sudden, for the first time, this had never happened to me before, um, that heart-palpitating sense of heaven's presence begin to beat in my heart, and words begin to form up in my mind. It was like God had gotten a hold of the projector of my imagination, and he was, he was controlling the film. Words were appearing, and they began to move from my heart up to the back of my throat. I felt them. That's how powerful it was. What was happening to me is this, the, the spirit of prophecy was moving on me for for me to prophesy. I'd never done it before. So naturally, I was tightening up. I was resisting. That's why I felt the heartbeat coming up the back of my throat. You know, you don't always feel that, you know. And it was right there. It was like my tongue was pressing against the back of my teeth. And my whole head was just pulsating. And I held that position and didn't do anything until I had choked it back down. Several minutes went by, and I thought, I'm going to speak now. And then someone would go, oh, thank you, Jesus. I said, well, okay, not now. And uh, that happened maybe about 10 times or more, and it seemed like an eternity went by, and finally that pulsating began to slow, and then it began to subside, and the heartbeat began to go back down my throat, back into the pit of my heart, and I was broken. I was just shattered. Lord, forgive me. I felt so sinful. I said, Father, forgive me. What was happening was I wanted 
to prophesy. I wanted it more than I wanted to draw my next breath. And I started to repent. I was still on my face. The meeting was still going on. And I started to cry out to God. I said, Father, please forgive me. I repent. Please forgive me. I knew it was prophecy. So I, I had words swirling around in my head. But I knew God has to say these. I, I can't say this. So I said, Lord, I repent. Please forgive me. Bring the prophetic utterance back. Bring it back. I will speak. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what happens. I don't care if it comes out all goofy and I get rebuked. I'm, I want to obey you. So my desire kicked in. Boom, 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 boom. It started to come back. It's like, yes, thank you, Jesus. Boom, boom. It got to the back of my throat and I said, and I'll tell you, I don't know if I broke eardrums or something, but uh, it was not a big office. There were a number of people in there, and I shouted out, Thus saith the Lord! And then whatever came out next, I have no idea what it was, but it was, it was actually a very powerful word for that ministry. And upon that word that I prophesied, the whole ministry pivoted and changed <coughs> and went in the direction that it went in based on what the head of that ministry who was there in that room did with the word that was spoken. And that was the first time I ever experienced prophecy. Shortly after that, a guy who I had known who really walked in that office came up from down in Florida to visit us. And he said, I want to pray over you. And he put his hands on me and he said, you do know that God has called you to the prophetic ministry. It's long before I ever had any ambition to pastor, thought God was going to use me to pastor. And when he said that, that anointing just absolutely burst and rose up in me. I knew God had put that gift in me. I couldn't wait to use it. But I knew it had to be like what happened. Only the, only the Holy Spirit can bring those things upon you. But now I knew God was giving me a green light to desire to prophesy, to desire to move. You see, like the scripture that I said to you, God had provided a better experience, a better life for me, but he wasn't going to force it on me. I could deny it. The key to having it was desire. From that day forward, I don't think I ever got around believers, got into a church meeting when I was not on my face or before God saying, even before I got there, Father, what do you want me to prophesy? Give me a word. What do you want me to say? I was asking God to give me words. Why not? The Bible says desire the best gifts. Most people want to know, why doesn't God use me? Have you ever done that? Have you ever begged God to use you? Have you ever said, please, Lord, I desire... Some people, they get around the gifts of healings. They get around where, where supernatural pe people are being healed supernaturally and something just rises in them. and they're, they're just, they crave that, Lord. Now, I know people can have wrong motives and they can be pride and you go, we're not talking about that today because I'm not talking to a congregation of people who are motivated by egotism and pride. So I don't even need to mention that. You know that 
that what we're talking about when we talk about desire is the desire to glorify Jesus. And hallelujah. You know, God has told us, God has told us where to focus our desires in the Bible. There's several things God has said, desire this, desire this. He has, he has pointed out to us and directed us where to focus our desires so that he can bless us and so that he can bring his will and bring his purposes to pass. And I want to say to you this morning that being empowered by the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus' glory, hallelujah, is more, it is more than an order that every Christian must understand. It's a desire that every Christian should pursue. The order to be filled with the Spirit and to manifest forth the gifts is something God is saying, I want you to pursue this. A couple of verses that underscore what I'm saying are found in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, with regard to the spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed. In the 31st verse of the same chapter, it says, but eagerly and earnestly desire the higher gifts. In the 14th chapter, it begins by saying, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. You know, the number one reason why the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church today is lacking is ignorance. People simply are unaware of the gifts of the Holy Spirit because the entire subject is largely ignored by church leaders. Most churches, their pastors don't instruct their people. They don't teach on it. They never see demonstrations of it. There's nothing for them to desire. They don't even know. They read those verses in the New Testament about the gifts of the Spirit, and they're just blinking like a cow at a new gate. You know, what's this? Pastor never tells us about this. We never see it. Ignorance, being unaware, is why we are not seeing the manifestation of the Spirit. If we saw it, we desire it. When I was first saved, I saw it. I desired it, and I saw it in the Word. I saw it in the scripture. Hallelujah. The word gifts, as it's used throughout the scripture referring to the gifts of the Spirit, is the word charisma. And it's a Greek word that means a divine endowment. In other words, the gifts are not natural abilities. They're not skills that you can develop. They are works of the Holy Spirit that demonstrate God's sovereign glory and his love through you and I. They're works that the Holy Spirit does. And since they're referred to as gifts or divine endowments, they cannot be earned. They must be pursued with desire. You have to want a gift is given. It is bestowed. You don't earn it. But Jesus said desire. Paul said desire. God wants you Every one of you that I'm speaking to right now, God wants you to desire for him to manifest the gifts of the Spirit through you. Stop for a moment and let that sink in. 
What does that thought do to you when you take it in? And if you were the only one right now sitting in the room and I were to say to you and call your name and say, God wants you to desire for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to manifest in you. What is, what's, what's the first thought that meets that statement? Is it, I'm not worthy? Or, I don't want to do that. I could never do that. Well, it's not a skill. It's an endowment. Is there, is there a bubbling up, a rising desire within you to hear that and to meet it and to make it your own? Let's take a moment and review just exactly what we're talking about. And Giselle, if you would, you and one other person, uh, take those two stacks of paper, and I'd like everyone to get one. There'll be leftovers. You can get another one. And what I'm passing out to you is just simply a list of the gifts of the Spirit with just a little bit of an explanation. I'm going to take a moment and share it with you right now. I also want to tell you that what you are receiving in paper form, I give you a digital PDF comp copy if you want a digital copy you just simply ask me for it and I'll make sure you get it. Okay, I'd like to review what are the gifts of the Spirit. There's probably a handful of you here that could stand up and instantly list the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. But most of you probably can't list the nine gifts of the Spirit. So I'm just going to read this passage out of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1 and then verse 7 through 11. Listen to this. Paul writes, now concerning the gifts of the Spirit, I do not want you to be ignorant or unaware. But to each one of you is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another gift of faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the effecting or working of miracles to another gift of prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirits or discerning of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Now these nine gifts of the Holy Spirit group naturally in three different groups. The utterance gifts, the revelation gifts, and the power gifts. And you've got that diagram in front of you. I wanted you to have it so you could take it home and just kind of study it. I'm not going to go into any explanation about these gifts, although they're wonderful explanations. I've written courses and uh, done seminars through the decades on the gifts of the Spirit, and I've got all those teaching. I'm thinking I may bring it to this congregation in the near future. But um, the utterance gifts, the utterance gifts are tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. The revelation gifts are word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. The power gifts are gifts of healings, working of miracles, and the gift of faith. The utterance gifts, God speaks supernaturally His words to us. The revelation gifts, God reveals His thoughts supernaturally to us. The power gifts, God works miraculously through us. All of the gifts of the Spirit are supernatural demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it ends with that list in verse 11 by saying, that one and same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one. Please notice each one. You're included in each one. Each one of what? Each one 
of those who are saved. He distributes to each one individually just as he wills. So without really hammering this down, I, I just simply want to establish the point and make the case that God wants you to cultivate a desire for the Holy Spirit to work in you so that he can manifest through you. The Bible says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each. So the gifts of the Spirit are also called the manifestation of the Spirit. Hey, let's ask a, a question that ought to be asked and answered. What's manifested? Just what is man when, it's, when the gifts of the Spirit are moving through you or me, what's being manifested? There's one thing that's being manifested, and Jesus kind of uh, demonstrated it collectively with the, with the first miracle that he performed in John chapter 2, verse 11. It talks about when Jesus turned water into wine, which was a working of miracles, right? So it says, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So what's the purpose of the gifts? Manifest forth his glory. Look, we could go out into the world and have discussions, intellectual debates, with people all over the world about whether they should believe the Bible, whether they should accept the gospel, whether they should believe in Jesus. We could try to get people to decide, I want to, and you will convince people, you know, that will make an intellectual decision to receive Jesus. But that's not manifesting forth. How did Jesus manifest forth? It says he turned water into wine and manifested forth his glory. Did glory not reside in him before that? Yes. Was that glory not seen? Well, for those that wanted to see it. But he manifested. He got it out and put it on the table and then people could, and some people loved him and were awesome, said, it's God. And the other said, he's a devil. You know, sometimes... Those big decisions aren't made until there's a manifestation to bring people to some kind of a, some kind of a commitment. Pick a side. On the subject of Jesus, there's no neutrality. You know? What do they call them? Independents. Independents are simply people without a backbone and can't make a decision. They want to appear to everyone on both sides that they are you know, elevated, and we like everybody, and we, we well, you, you can't make a decision. I don't know why people should elevate you. Um, Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. Make a decision. Gifts of the Spirit bring forth decisions. Hallelujah. So what is manifested? It, the glory of God. The proper desire for the gifts of the Spirit is really, in effect, desiring to manifest Jesus' glory. That's what you really want. When I was a young believer and I wanted that prophecy to come back, I wanted to prophesy, it was really an extension of my wanting to see Jesus manifest before others like he had been manifest to me. I got saved because Jesus manifested himself to me. I knew that other people would turn to him if he was manifest to them. And that's why I wanted to see that gift flowing. Praise the Lord. Can you say amen? amen? You know, 
The desire to manifest Jesus' glory was the absolute compelling motivation of the first Christians. That is what moved them from the day of Pentecost out across the face of the earth was that the, the, the drive, the desire to want to manifest the glory of Jesus Christ. Therefore, manifesting the gifts of the Spirit was the standard operating experience in the church of Acts. I'll give you a couple of scriptures. If I could take a moment, I just want to convince you and give you these scriptures. First of all, Jesus himself said, I want this to be the standard operating experience when I send my church forth. He said it in Mark chapter 16, as he was about to say goodbye to his disciples. Um, it says, Jesus said to them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel, build very expensive buildings, wire them with the best technology, get the very best, best uh, uh, and brightest and smartest people together. Build an organization that will become the envy of the corporations of your society so that even the politicians and the intellectual leaders of your society will want to come and be in your churches. Go into the world and do that. Now, that's where we're at today. That's what we have done. We've created Walmart for Jesus. But that is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, and whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now listen, here it comes. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Let's pause for a moment. He's talking about you and I. He's saying the apostles are going to go out, disciples are going to go out, and those that, that they have led to the Lord are going to go into all the world, preach the gospel. The people who hear it and get saved are going to manifest signs. These are not signs that were limited to the apostles. Jesus himself said the signs and wonders, the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, are going to come upon those from throughout the world who believe in Jesus. I intend those who believe to be walking, talking, sign demonstrators of my kingdom and of my lordship. Let me finish the phrase. It'll become clear to you. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents and in their hands, and if they drink any poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Basically, he's describing situations where supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit are demonstrating his glory. In other words, what he's saying is, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John will have not ended. It'll continue through you. You are the fifth gospel. And I intended to go on throughout all the world until I come back. So that is God's program for the church. That's what Jesus said. Hallelujah, anyway. Can you say praise the Lord? In Acts chapter 10, you know, we know on the day of Pentecost, they spoke in tongues when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Great boldness happened, and 
Then later on, a few days later, they got together and prayed. Holy Ghost fell on them again. They started preaching and prophesying, and the disciples went out, and people were getting healed, miracles were happening. But then, quite a ways down the road, in the 10th chapter of Acts, after they had now gone out, outside of Jerusalem, were preaching the gospel everywhere, Peter goes down to a centurion, a Gentile's house, named Cornelius, and he's... <clears throat> At this point, they, hadn't, they didn't know that Gentiles could get saved. <laughs> Hallelujah. So um, this man, this, this centurion, uh, Cornelius, you know, he, God has come to him in a vision, and uh, he's a devout man, but he's not saved. He doesn't know Jesus. And, and Cornelius says, Lord, what should I do? He says, I want you to send your servants to the city of Joppa. There's a man up on a housetop, his name's Peter, ask him to come and speak to you, and uh, we'll take it from there. So Peter is now standing in the living room of, uh, or the courtyard of Cornelius' house. All of his servants and family all around, a big crowd is there, and Peter begins to speak to him about Jesus. I want you to listen to what happened. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the message. Now the Jewish believers who had accompanied Peter were greatly astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. How did they know they got filled with the They heard them speaking in tongues. Hallelujah. And praising God. Again, much later in chapter 19, the Apostle Paul is in a particular city somewhere in the Roman Empire, and he comes across six disciples who were disciples of John the Baptist. They didn't know about Jesus. They didn't know about the Messiah. They just knew about John the Baptist. And in chapter 19, it says, Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. He's talking to these six guys telling the people to believe on the one who is coming after him, that is Jesus. Upon hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Immediately, got filled with the Spirit, boom, they started speaking in tongues, prophesying. They didn't even know it was coming. They didn't even know Jesus had come moments before. That's, by the way, that's how I got baptized. That's how my wife got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know about it, and boom, I got filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. Praise God. And I just want to bring out one other point, just to finish this off. So <clears throat> when Paul writes in, in the letters to the Corinthian church, and by the way, those letters were supposed to be circulated around to all the churches. They weren't just meant for the Corinthians. So Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He, he spends a lot of ink on the gifts of the Spirit. He writes a lot about the gifts of the Spirit. And when he does, if you read it, back up and look at it, you realize he's not introducing a new topic to them. Instead, what he's doing is giving guidelines for a practice that they're already completely submerged in and practicing. Those churches were all spirit-filled, and they were all prophesying, laying hands on the sick, signs, wonders, and miracles. They were all praying in tongues. These were all holy, these were Pentecostal people, as we call them today. 
It was standing up there. The, the trunk had not fallen off the elephant yet. The church still had the gifts. The first early church was the church that Jesus sent into the world, baptized in the Holy Ghost. You see, Christians that reject the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, who goes to the zoo to see an elephant without a trunk? An elephant without a trunk. That's a church without the gifts of the Spirit is an elephant without a trunk. You know what we call that? A hippopotamus. <laughs> I came to see an elephant. We, we need our trunk. Can you say amen? amen. But, now listen to this, because people will, there's so much bad theology that has been written over the years about why the gifts seem to have disappeared historically from the church, except for scattered experiences throughout history. Well, there's a very good reason, and it's one that you don't have to be a Bible scientist to understand. Through the years, the gifts of the Holy Spirit faded from the regular life of Christians because they allowed wrong thinking to prevent them from believing that they should desire them. When Paul wrote about the gifts of the Spirit, he opened up by saying, concerning the gifts of the Spirit, I would not have you to be unaware. What happened? They began to become unaware. When, when the Apostle Paul was replaced by other teachers who began to take over the leading of the churches, these other teachers stopped emphasizing the gifts. They stopped teaching on the gifts. They stopped demonstrating the gifts. So the, the gifts begin to fade into the background. People's desire for the gifts begin to evaporate, begin to disappear. Why? There was no demonstration of the gifts of the Spirit. And let me tell you what happened. Collectively, across the, the whole church, except for probably a few examples, as the desire for the gifts faded and they weren't being seen anymore, the theologians said, this is because God has sovereignly decided to turn the spigot off. But we know better. Amen. We know that what happened is they became ignorant. I would not have you ignorant. Desire the best gifts. What happened? They became ignorant of the gifts because they stopped preaching. They quit talking about it. And they just took all of the gospel and the message of the gospel and distilled it into a mental and physical work that could be performed with abilities native to human beings. The supernatural began to disappear. Somebody say amen. amen. Now listen. You think Satan wasn't involved in that plan? <laughs> Satan was involved in that plan. Because Satan always targets desire. Like I said to you last week, he had not put much of a fight up to keep people from hearing about God's plan because he knows once they've accepted that God's got a plan, he can just deviate their desire, just turn their desire by pointing them to other desires. The devil knows that desire is the prime motivator for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You read these great stories about the prophets in the Old Testament. You read these phenomenal stories that we read about in Acts about the disciples and Philip and, and the, the, his daughters that prophesied and all these things that happened. These people desired to manifest forth Jesus. The devil saw that. He saw it for what he understood. 
Desire brings the anointing. When the desire begins to lift, the anointing goes with it. Jesus said, if you ask your father for bread, he's not going to give you a rock. If you ask your heavenly father for the anointing, he's not going to give you a scorpion or a stone. It's supposed to be something we ask. It's supposed to be something we desire. The devil knows that the prime motivator for the anointing of the Spirit is desire. There is no greater illustration in the Bible that uh, illustrates what moves God to mantle common people with his spirit and his anointing other than the, the story of Elijah and Elisha. How many of you remember the story of the prophet Elijah and his successor, the prophet Elisha? Let me see your hands if you're familiar with that story. Most people are familiar with it. That is awesome. It'll save me some time. I want you to go back with me, hundreds of years before Jesus comes. The great prophet Elijah, I mean, he is a, he is a feared and revered man. He walks with the power of God, performed 12 great major miracles, including calling down fire from heaven and uh, all kinds of tremendous things. And Elijah got to a place in his life, it got to a place in his ministry where he was just tired, worn out. He was tired of putting up with all the persecution. He was just tired of just, you know, Ahab and his, his 21st century wife, Jezebel. And he just wanted to give up. And he runs down to the cave of Horeb and he, he just runs into the cave and God speaks to him. And he says, I'm not done with you yet, boy. He says, we're not finished. He says, I want you to go back up to Israel. I've got a couple assignments for you. And one of them is I want you to call Elisha, who's a farm boy. Stop by his house. Call him. He's going to continue your ministry when you're gone. So he ends up on the farm of Elisha. He sees Elisha plowing. And um, Elisha realized this is Elijah the And so he stops plowing and goes over to Elijah. What does, now Elijah knows he's got to call him. God is going to make Elisha the, predi, the, the, the successor of his ministry. So he doesn't say, you know who I am. Grab his mantle with pride. Say, I am Elijah the prophet. I'm going to offer you. I'm going to offer you the opportunity to be my protege and follow me. You're going to have to follow what I say. He didn't do any of it. He didn't use his personality. He didn't use his presence. He didn't use the awe about his testimony or his reputation to impress upon Elisha what God wanted Elisha to do. He did one thing. How many of you know what he did? He took off his mantle, his wrap. His mantle represented the anointing. The anointing, if you want to think of it that way, was, was in that mantle. He takes off the mantle, walks over to Elisha, and he throws it on him. And Elisha's like, oh. He feels the power of God. The prophet's mantle is upon him. And Elisha goes, snatches it off of him. And he knows what that means. He knows he's been called. So what did Elijah, Elijah call Elisha with? He gave him a touch 
He gave him a feel of the anointing. He didn't make him respond to him as a man. He let him have contact with the anointing to see what he was going to do. And Elisha says to Elijah, um, I, I want to go back and say goodbye to my mom and dad, and then we can get on with it. Listen to what Elijah the prophet said. Elijah the prophet said, what have I done to you? I, you don't have to respond to me. I'm, I didn't ask you to desire me. I haven't done anything. Sure, go say goodbye to your mom and dad. Let's do whatever you want to do. So he says goodbye to his mom and dad. He slays the ox. He breaks up the yoke. He makes an altar, burns a fire, offers the ox up, and they have a great big steak dinner. Hallelujah. And Elijah says to Elisha, you ready to go? Yeah, man, I'm ready. Let's go. And they go off and for the next several years. They have a tremendous relationship as the prophet Elijah is just burning a path through Israel. And Elisha, his predecessors, got his eyes on that mantle. All he can do is remember what it felt like to have that anointing. He wants it. Every time he sees Elijah prophesying and flowing under the anointing, it's, it's churning a desire in him. I don't have time to go into it. You can go into the 2 Kings chapter 2. You can read in chapter 1 and chapter 2 about right to the end before Elijah is caught up to heaven. His life is over and that Anointing is transferred to Elijah. The way that happens is amazing. Elijah goes to a number of cities. Everywhere he goes, the sons of the prophets come out and say, you know God's going to take your, going to take your, your father, your, your prophet Elijah, up to heaven, away from you. It was common knowledge how Elijah was going to get caught up in a whirlwind. And they said, why don't you stay with us, sons of the prophet, church people. Why don't you stay? Stay, stay here with us. and You can have your ministry with us. He said, don't bother me. He said, no, nope, I'm going to follow him to the very end. He said, I don't know what you're following him for. Because he ain't going nowhere. The next stop is heaven. Stay here with us. Stay here with us. He said, nope. He follows him through a number of cities, and then they cross the Jordan. Before they do, Elijah takes his mantle off. Whoosh, whoosh, smites the waters, the Jordan River parts like the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry ground, and Elisha's going, ba-bump, 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 ba-bump. I want that, I want that. It's not selfish, it's not ego. I have seen the Lord God glorified with this mantle of anointing. I want to see that continue. Ba-bump, ba-bump, ba-bump. And... Elijah turns to Elisha as they're walking. He says, you've been faithful all these years. He said, ask me one thing, I'll give, I'll give it to you. He said, I want a double portion of what you've got. His desire had fully blossomed. <laughs> he was now a hog. He was a Holy Ghost hog. He was an anointing junkie. He was a a gift glutton. I want twice what you've got. You don't think God said on his throne, said, I love this kid. I love this. Elijah turns to Elisha. He says, well, he said, you ask a hard thing. He said, I'll tell you what. If you keep your eyes on me and watch me as I go up into heaven, then you can have it. Not moments later, they have continued to walk 
and a fiery chariot comes down out of the clouds and goes right between them, parts them asunder in a whirlwind. I don't know how the chariot of the world, don't ask me. I just know the Bible says it's there somehow. It's a whirlwind and the chariot, maybe the chariot's spinning, comes and he picks up Elijah, whoosh, takes him up and now the chariot's going with a whirlwind up into heaven. Elisha's standing there watching, watching until he disappears out of sight. You talk about futility. What's the purpose? He's going. I mean, he's just a dot. It's like when you watch the missile go up over on the east, east coast, you know, the people standing. Oh, I, I, think I, see, I think I still see it. No, that's a crow. What is the, looking at the dots, but they won't, they won't take their eyes off it. He wouldn't take his eyes off it. When he's finally gone, he's finally gone, Elisha turns around. Guess what's laying on the ground beside him? The mantle. The mantle. Elijah sent it back. Elisha picks it up. And you know what the Bible says it does? He rips his own man, he rips his own coat off, tears it into shreds. He takes that mantle and he wraps it around himself. He turns around and he walks back to the Jordan River. He takes that mantle off and goes whoosh, whoosh, and shouts up into heaven, Where is the God of Elijah? Boom! The waters part. He walks across on dry ground. Not far from there, the sons of the prophets are up safely ensconced behind their church walls going, how come stuff like that doesn't ever happen to us? No desire. You've got what you desire. You've got your little thing. You've got your little club. You've got your Walmart church here. That's why no supernatural stuff happens. You've built your little kingdom. This guy, he's walking with God. He's going where the mantle goes. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? Elisha went on in his lifetime and performed 24 major miracles, exactly twice as many as the prophet Elisha. With that, here's our altar call this morning. It's very simple. When Jesus rose from the dead and the mantle of his anointing was sent back, for the church to take it up, like Elisha took up Elijah's mantle, they took it and they ran with it. Now, we, I say collectively as the body of Christ, today, have allowed ourselves to be talked out of it by the sons of the prophets. We have chosen to go ahead and take up positions in those towns and those little church fortifications. And we don't see the mantle operating. But some of us have been following Jesus. That mantle is still here for you and I to pick it up. It takes desire. Do you remember the Bible says that when Jesus ascended up that the disciples stood? 500 he had appeared to. He had spoken to them. He said, go into all the world. I can see it. His feet are starting to lift off the earth. The glory is starting to transform him. He's turning into a Jesus of light. He's rising up. Clouds are forming around him as he's going up and his voice is picking up an echo as he's speaking. Go into all the world. 
And those that believe, these signs shall follow them. I can see resurrected, ascending Jesus. These signs will follow those who believe. If you'll preach it, they'll receive it. And my church, the gates of hell, will not be able to prevail against it. Come on. That's the word that is hovering over the atmosphere of the earth today, waiting for Christians to be obedient. I want you to stand with me this morning.